What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you today with our ADP values and busts by round part two. In the first video, we did rounds one to five, the early rounds, the ones that really matter. These ones definitely matter as well, but we're going to be covering round six to 10 in this video, the mid rounds. By this point in your startup draft, you should know whether or not you're going to be competing or rebuilding and whether or not to go for certain players over the others. So in today's video, we're going to talk about some of the guys that we have ranked way above consensus in our own top 200 rankings, which are available over on Patreon or available via underdog fantasy signup using promo code FSE. We're going to compare that basically to uh, a deco.ff uh, or slash FF on Twitter, his, uh, his ADP that he's collected from sleeper. For sure. And uh, we've kind of noticed that Adiko's collected ADP is most relevant, most realistic compared to a lot of your guys' startup drafts. So uh, a lot of these ADPs are what you should relatively expect when you're in your drafts. Obviously, some micro differences because your micro league market is going to be different than the vast majority of every single dynasty league out there. But it's a fun exercise talking about, you know, some of, the, as Corey mentioned, the win now relative players versus the rebuild relative players. Because at this point, you're going to know, are you a rebuilder, are you a contender, or are you in a progressive struggle? You're going to know that at that round six, round seven, round eight point in your draft. So yeah, I'm doing well, doing well, and ready to continue this video. A lot of good feedback on the last one in rounds one to five. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this as well. Before we get into the sixth round, as always, though, we're going to hit the intro. All right, so we're going to start off with the sixth round ADP, and you guys can kind of see it on the screen right now in terms of a graphic. And looking at this round of ADP, you guys are going to know already, if you've been following the channel for a while, who we're going to be extremely high on and who are we going to be relatively low on. So I'll let you start it off. Both of, ours high, both of our highest discrepancy in terms of our ranking versus ADP, I'll let you take it away with the uh, Broadway man himself, Elijah Moore. Yeah, we both have second-year wide receivers way higher too. Yeah. Um, and I, I made a video talking about buying both of these wide receivers, but specifically for Elijah Moore, the reason he's fallen, because he was once, you know, wide receiver 15, wide receiver 14 in ADP consensus wise, third, fourth, fifth round pick at minimum. He's fallen now to the end of the sixth round because of the Garrett Wilson addition in the NFL draft. Yes, Garrett Wilson hurts him a little bit, but it shouldn't hurt him this much. Elijah Moore didn't get any worse at football when Garrett Wilson was drafted. And if anything, like I talked about in that buy these wide receivers now video, this elevates the offense and it should help out Zach Wilson. So if you're concerned, you know, Zach Wilson can't support two wide receivers. Garrett Wilson's got the higher draft capital. Ergo, he's the number one. I'm still taking Elijah Moore all day and twice on Sunday in the mid-20s of where he's going at wide receiver right now. Can we just talk about the fact that Elijah Moore in that, what, seven, eight game stretch last year has done more in that stretch than Jerry Judy has done in his career thus far, yet he's going after Jerry Judy in drafts. Can we can we contextualize that for a second? Elijah Moore saw a sustained period of time where he commanded a 20% target share, where he was getting, what, top five wide receiver in the NFL level type of production, was super efficient, was super good, was super versatile across the field. Yeah, adding Garrett Wilson may impact his ceiling a la relative to a Jamar Chase T. Higgins situation, but we're not talking about a player that's going to be faded to oblivion. We're still talking about a guy that, if he plays all the games, is going to be in that 20 to 25% target share area. And for a 21-year-old receiver to have shown the ceiling that he showed last year to be going at the 6'10", is, as quoting from last video, 
egregious. He is both in our top 40s. He is a locked and loaded top four round, no hesitation startup pick for me. And you're currently getting him over two rounds past where we both have him ranked. Yeah, and I, I talked about the T. Higgins effect last uh, video when I talked about Elijah Moore and Devontae Smith. T. Higgins went from, you know, wide receiver 11, 12 in Dynasty before Jamar Chase was drafted, and that was kind of with the anticipation that they might draft Jamar Chase. He probably would have been like wide receiver 5, 6, or 7 if we didn't know whether or not they were going to draft another receiver, but he dropped all the way down to like the 20s, and yep. he didn't get any worse at football, and we clearly saw the results of that this season, and maybe you believe more in Joe Burrow than Zach Wilson, but... I mean, Zach Wilson has it set up to do what the Bengals did last year if he's the type of quarterback that I thought he was coming out. So um, enough on Elijah Moore. You guys hear us talk about him all the time. The other side of that coin, kind of another second-year wide receiver, fell for the same exact reason, is Devontae Smith. Guys, I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. You can see my jerseys in the background. You know inherently, as a Cowboys fan, I dislike the Philadelphia Eagles. But fading Devontae Smith to the 72nd overall pick has gone way too far. Is A.J. Brown very good at football? Yes. Is A.J. Brown going to command targets? Yes. Is the Eagles offense last year a team that did not throw the ball inherently at a league average clip? Absolutely. I understand those negatives on the portfolio here. And if you wanted to uh, knock Devontae Smith a little bit, sure. But this is still a player that can command 22% of the targets as a rookie last year. And as we know, acquiring a superstar level receiver is inherently going to increase the passing volume of an offense, a la the Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens case in 2021. Devontae Smith is still very good at football, still separates like nobody's business on the outside, and should still command at least a 22 to 25% target share on an ascending offense. 72nd overall pick below some of the running backs that we've mentioned in previous rounds is just no. Give me the 22-year-old receiver that showed last year that he's very good at football and has a projectable wide receiver 2-plus ceiling for the foreseeable future. Sixth round, 6'11", money in the bank. I have him ranked as my 43rd overall player. He's currently going at the 72nd overall pick in ADP. Well, yeah, and, and to your point, too, he's got Chris Olave and Jamison Williams and Jerry Judy above him. Like, yeah. He's a better prospect than all of those guys, and he also has done more in one season than Jerry Judy's done in two seasons, exactly. too. So, um, yeah, the, the offense is a concern. You know, we don't know how much they're going to pass the ball. We don't know how efficient Jalen Hurts is going to be when he does throw the ball. But Jalen Hurts could be a short-term concern, right? If they if he's terrible as a passer, they're going to replace him. So we could have, you know, Bryce Young throwing to Devontae Smith. We could have C.J. Stroud throwing to Devontae Smith. We don't really know at this point. All we do know Better is right? that he's better than the 25th overall dynasty wide receiver because he's young and he's talented. So I, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I would have, you know, picked both of these guys if I could I actually did claim both of them at one point so Doesn't let's get into that. the bust from round six and this guy's not necessarily a, uh, somebody I'm avoiding I actually don't mind him if you're going for more of a contending win now type of build and the video I did yesterday kind of outlines how to do that properly but David Montgomery uh, currently going off the board as the 63rd overall player I am at 75 it's mainly just because there's more receivers behind him that I would take but uh RB 19 overall as a, a cost I don't think is egregious um David Montgomery has the, a great win now type of appeal, also still relatively young. So he'll probably have a couple years of, you know, still fantasy relevant production. But I think his best year, his best, you know, final season of his career is probably going to come this year. Yeah. Uh, or behind him. I mean, two years ago, he was uh, a locked and loaded top eight running back. That is the absolute ceiling this year. And as you kind of mentioned, it's a short term time of production. I don't mind 
you know, David Montgomery relative to the running backs he's before and after in terms of his ranking. I have him right about where he's actually ranked. It's just, as you guys know, watching the channel, we push up all of that elite wide receiver talent over those middle, you know, quote unquote, mid running backs that um, taking at the 602 just kind of pigeonholes you, as you mentioned, with Corey in a win now. So I agree with that. It's similar to mine. I do not hate Josh Jacobs at all. I think he's a good football player. I think he's going to have a really good season from a redraft perspective. 68's a little bit too steep for me, particularly because of the receivers behind him. Chris Olave, Elijah Moore, Devontae Smith, some of the guys that we're going to talk about in the round seven, round eight area, I have slightly ahead. And honestly, aside from these two running backs, I feel like this round is relatively priced appropriately. So there weren't many other guys that I think are going, you know, egregiously too high, a la Dalvin Cook on last video. So um, I'm fine with Josh Jacobs. Again, this is 12 spots higher, so I literally have him as he goes what? Um, he goes at the 610 here. He's my 710. So, you know, you reach a round in a draft, it's not going to kill you. It's just I would take the receivers personally in terms of how I build my dynasty teams out. So we actually disagree on this one. I have Josh <laughs> Jacobs ahead of this um, because I think that Josh Jacobs is a prime candidate to ascend further. Now, will That's I fine. be holding Josh Jacobs for three years? Probably not. He's probably going to have his best season of his career this year, if I had to guess, because we have a Raiders offense now with Derek Carr having probably his best season of his pro career last year, coming in with Devontae Adams on the outside, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, all these guys to draw attention away from Josh Jacobs, and the fact that we're probably going to have a top 10 offense in scoring. So I think Josh Jacobs is in line for a 12, 15, 18 rushing touchdown type of season, and yep. he's still only 24 years old. So... It's not like I think that Josh Jacobs is, uh, you know, a slam dunk pick at this point in time, but I think he's priced appropriately yep. for the value that he could provide you. Because this time next year, would it surprise me if Josh Jacobs is around three or around four uh, startup pick? No, I, I don't think I would pick him there, and I would probably sell him after this year. But I do think he has a chance to appreciate in value this year. Yeah, and, and that's fine too. I actually do think he can appreciate in value as well. I think that's in the range of outcomes. It's just the way I structure my teams. I'm avoiding running backs in this area because I know the opportunity cost of uh, running backs later on, you know, your Leonard Fournette, your James Connors. Because realistically, if you're taking relatively high-valued running backs anyways, you are in a competing window. So at that point, I'm just taking my shots on those guys later on. Again, I don't dislike Jacobs, but sixth round, if he was more of a seventh round pick, I'd feel more comfortable with it. Yeah, and actually in the contending window video that I did yesterday, there was like a mock draft that I used in as, as an example, and I got one of those top-tier running backs at the the two the one-two turn where I got Javante Williams, and then I smashed a couple foundational wide receivers, and then in the sixth round, I got Josh Jacobs, and I was like, okay, I got two running backs that can help me win this year. I had Metcalf, DJ Moore, and somebody else as my other wide receivers, and I got Kyler Murray in the first round, so I was like, okay, this team can compete, which is why if you make that shift from like the first four rounds, you build your foundation into a competing window. I think Josh Jacobs is a fine sixth, seventh round pick as yeah. your RB two for that type of team. Um, and he is actually one of the the few, I think difference makers from like a redraft perspective yeah. that you can still get decent value on because Again, for my money, Dalvin Cook, we talked about in the last video, was like a fourth round yeah. pick. I have Josh Jacobs ranked straight up over Dalvin Cook from a redraft perspective. Yeah, no, I, I can see that case as well. Again, as I'll kind of echo, I mean, this is a relatively appropriate price around. I don't think there's, again, any egregious overvalues on the market. So we can transition to the round seven because I feel like there's, there's more to talk about there, specifically with a couple of the running backs that we will mention. But I'll let you take it away first with your main value of the round seven area. Who is that player that you're eyeing in this round and thinking, wow, he is very low 
in terms of his relative market value right now. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys, specifically the veteran wide receivers are really intriguing to me. Mike Evans, Marquise Brown, and Keenan Allen. Um, Keenan Allen is actually the guy that I think is uh, the biggest discrepancy in my rankings. I have him at 71 versus 81. Listen, if you if you do that, for, let's let's say you go um, Kyler Murray at the one-two turn or like in the mid-first round, then you grab uh, A.J. Brown or DeAndre Swift in the second round. You hammer out D.K. Metcalf and T. Higgins rounds three and four. That's a great young foundation for you to, to transition into a competing window if you notice that your micro market is overvaluing age. Then you can get guys like Keenan Allen in round seven to help fill out your wide receiver core. That will give you top five ceilings at the wide receiver position this year. And while Keenan Allen's an older wide receiver, he's still attached to Justin Herbert for however long he's going to be uh, in the NFL, in my opinion. So I would love to get Keenan Allen uh, for a contending team in round seven, knowing that I probably already have two or three great wide receivers already, a, a great running back, maybe a tight end, a quarterback or two. Like you can have Keenan Allen as like your seventh best player or seventh pick in a, a contending type of build in a, in a dynasty startup. And I think Keenan Allen, Mike Evans and Marquise Brown are all great values in this round. Yeah. I, I don't mind as well. Oddly enough in our, in our one startup, uh, our best ball too lazy to set lineups. Like I actually do have a share of Keenan Allen in a league that I'm looking to compete. Now I believe I got him at the beginning of the seventh round. So I agree with that. I, I think Keenan Allen should be, I don't think he has a, maybe a top five ceiling, but I mean, he is locked and loaded for me as a top 12 receiver. Super, super high target share, super high offensive insulation, obviously with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Yeah, he's an older player. You're probably going to have to ride him up into the sunset if you do take Keenan Allen. But if you're taking Keenan Allen, you are already a win-now team. You already know that inherently your production is going to outweigh your eventual um, projectable cost long-term in terms of what you could potentially net out of him. So ride Keenan Allen off to the sunset, maybe get, you know, three more years of top 12 production and you're more than fine with that again as your seventh best player in a win now type of build so i i do like keenan allen i think um it's a good spot to take a player like that but we can transition to my value and obviously you talked about the more win now production style receiver and i'm gonna be looking more towards you know your productive struggle um young receivers that still have elite upside too and Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman's current valuations are very, very low. Currently, my 45 and 46 respectively in the manifesto, and they are ranked 75th and 78th respectively. Marquise Brown, we saw a sub 25 year old receiver command 140 targets, and what we knew inherently was an average passing volume type of team last year with the Baltimore Ravens now lands in a situation in Arizona, already has shown that he command elite volume. Reunites with his college team. I know that's a little bit of a Fugazi type of narrative, but we're still talking about the Arizona Cardinals who have shown when they are full on humming, they are inherently a higher passing volume team than the Baltimore Ravens have shown. You get DeAndre Hopkins, six game suspension. Obviously long-term, that's going to not going to matter much, but if you're a win now team, that six games of Marquise Brown wide receiver one tethered to Kyler Murray is very, very huge for you in the seventh round. I'm fine with taking this guy in the fifth round. I think he's a very, very good player. He can stretch the field vertically, and he has shown that he has a three-level ability to command targets on any level of the field. I feel like this is kind of our bias showing where, you know, the first two seasons of Marquise Brown, he wasn't that elite target getter, but people are overlooking the fact that that is not Marquise Brown's game anymore. He is not a volatile, deep threat, you know, 5'9", 
thin receiver that people wanted to kind of peg him to be. He showed that he can affect the level. He can affect the field on all three levels last year. 140 targets. I don't expect that to diminish at all moving from Lamar Jackson to Kyler Murray. I think he's in store for, at worst, a top 24 uh, season. And if you're getting that at wide receiver 28 cost for a 25-year-old player, you're smashing that every day of the week. Same type of instance for Shaw Bateman. I kind of talked about, you know, the Baltimore Ravens inherently throwing the ball more last year. Yeah, is their passing volume overall probably going to go down losing Marquise Brown? Are they probably going to revert back to more of a run-centric team? Sure. But Rashad Bateman showed that he can command targets down the stretch last year. According to Matt Harmon's reception perception was 75th percentile or better against all man, press, and zone as a rookie with when Lamar Jackson was starting. And we know that this Baltimore Ravens passing attack is going to funnel through Mark Andrews and through Rashad Bateman. I expect him to be able to command 120 plus targets this year. And you're getting that as a 22 year old receiver in the seventh round. That's what we like to call money in the bank. Yeah. These guys are the reason that we're out on a lot of these running backs, right? Like we can get projectable top 10 ceilings out of both of these receivers. Like it's, Rashad Bateman could be the number one receiver for a top five scoring offense. Marquise Brown could be the number one receiver for a top five scoring offense. And I mean, I have Marquise Brown in like so many leagues. He's probably my highest owned player percentage wise. I think I have him in like four of my six leagues. Yeah, no, he is such good value. And I mean, same thing with Rashad Bateman. I think Marquise Brown by next year is could be a top four round startup pick. And obviously Rashad Bateman has maybe even a higher ceiling because he is a younger player. I could see a scenario where Rashad Bateman next year is going in that DJ Moore range, is going in that late third type of range if he's able to show that the player, the prospect profile that he was coming out of college can translate in the second year. People aren't really realizing that this guy got off to his slow start because of that injury that he was dealing with at the beginning of the season. Down the stretch, yeah, was the quarterback play you know suffering when Lamar Jackson was out? Sure, but he still showed the ability to command targets and now is losing a 140-target player in that respective offense. So... I love both these guys, you know, the former teammates, the former Ravens. I think both of their values are criminally low in your dynasty drafts. And part of the reason why I love stacking on these elite young receivers early, because I know that the value is all in that position. Yeah. And the the other thing to take into account too, is that Mark Andrews did more damage with Tyler Huntley than he did with Lamar Jackson. So not that Lamar Jackson's not going to throw to Mark Andrews. <laughs> Obviously he's the best target in that offense, but yeah. Maybe it's a little bit more spread out. Maybe Mark Andrews isn't quite as dominant from a target perspective because Huntley was favoring him a little bit more than Lamar was. There was people probably a little bit upset with Mark Andrews for the first couple of weeks of the season because he wasn't necessarily proving to be an elite tight end at that point in time. But obviously he finished out the season as elite as a tight end has probably ever had a, a stretch of like eight to 10 games. Yep. No, I, I agree with you there. I think uh, both of those players can eat in this offense because I mean, quite frankly, after those two, there aren't as many outlets in the passing game. I know we don't like kind of using that vacated targets narrative, but we're not using it because Rashad Bateman is a subpar player getting thrust into a bigger role. We're talking about it because we're we're looking at a 22-year-old receiver that showed the ability to command targets last year and has even more of an opportunity to do so with, as I mentioned, a 140 target player out of the fold. So Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, love both their values. We can get into your bust and it's very similar to mine. It's an aging running back that is probably past his twilight years and uh, may or may not play for my team. I'll let you take it away with Ezekiel Elliott. Honestly, we can let's group both of ours together because I have Ezekiel Elliott 107 versus 79 where he's currently going. You have Aaron Jones running back for the Green Bay Packers at 109 versus uh, 74 where he's currently going. So both of those guys are 27 years old. 
both of those guys are above a thousand career touches. Ezekiel, it's over 1500. Yeah. So Almost 2, these guys are not the type of investments you want to make in dynasty. Even if you're a win now team, I talked about it in yesterday's video. There's an entire rule. I based around it. I'm still likely to go young at running back and bit the build the win now aspect of my team around my wide receivers, around my quarterbacks, around my tight ends, because investing in older running backs is a losing battle from a long-term value standpoint. I would much rather sacrifice a little production. I honestly don't even think you'd be sacrificing anything going from um, Aaron Jones or Ezekiel Elliott to a younger running back that hasn't proven it yet, like Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, or Cam Akers. And I know they're a little bit more expensive than these guys, but I think the opportunity cost is a lot bigger if you go for one of these older running backs or just sacrificing, um, you know, Leonard Fournette who goes, you know, I would, it says he's going around here. Honestly, I routinely I see him, him going after these guys. Same goes for James Connor. Same goes for my like, hell, you can even get like replaceable RB two production out of like guys like Melvin Gordon and Kareem Hunt, Hunt and stuff like yeah. that. So I just think these running backs are a bad investment in round seven, even for win now teams. I would much rather take the receivers going around this range. Like, there is absolutely no chance I would ever select Ezekiel Elliott over Keenan Allen in a draft yeah. if I was a win now team. Yeah, and we um, we may have a video coming out soon uh, talking about the concept of opportunity cost, talking about the concept of understanding relative production to cost in your drafts. But what is realistically the difference between taking Ezekiel Elliott in the seventh versus taking James Conner in what the tenth? Like James yeah, Conner can flat out nine tenth. James Conner if he stays healthy, is probably going to outscore Ezekiel Elliott this year. We're getting, you know, the 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 buzz. Oh, he was a top 10 running back in the past. Can continue it? He, Ezekiel is not the same player that he once was. He's nearing 2,000 career touches. Tony Pollard is breathing down his neck. And realistically, even if he plays 17 games, what is his ceiling? Like RB8 overall, not even on a points-per-game basis. He Like we have people victory lapping all over the place that this guy was a top eight running back last year. It's easy to be a top eight running back when you play 17 games. Right, because running backs don't like, play a lot of games. And I will ask and, and challenge anybody that is defending Ezekiel Elliott. Did you win your championship with Ezekiel Elliott last year? Because I doubt it. I highly doubt it. If you drafted him top six or wherever he was going, I doubt you won your championship unless you bought super, super low on him after he had a bunch of bad games yeah. uh, at some point in the season, which is still valid. But in Dynasty... The, his value can only go down in my opinion. Even if Ezekiel Elliott had like a moderately solid season this year, his value is only going to go down. Mm -hmm. So I would much rather take the chance on a young running back or just draft a wide receiver more likely. Let's think about this. Rashad Bateman can have, you know, a relatively disappointing season and hold value. Ezekiel Elliott can have an RB 10 season and be a ninth round pick or later by next year. That is such a volatile piece to be investing in at this point in your drafts that ultimately you got to make that choice. Do you want value accrual, which is what we always go for? Because if you don't, you take your production pieces later when you're deciding between, you know, uh, Jacoby Myers versus Kareem Hunt, like guys like that in that range, not freaking Ezekiel Elliott over Rashad Bateman. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big difference when you're deciding. If you're taking a win now piece, you got to make sure that it's it's above guys that like cause if you can make it a realistic argument that they're going to score more fantasy points regardless of position cuz I can easily make an argument that Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman will score more fantasy points per game than Ezekiel Elliott next yep. year. I'm there's no chance I'm taking him, especially if you play yep. in like a PPR format or something like that. Yeah, and I mean you could just say the same about Aaron Jones, same relative argument, 28-year-old running back. 
losing an elite receiver in that offense is going to inherently decrease scoring opportunities for the Green Bay Packers. He might have, you know, a top 12 season based off receiving workload, but he's a free agent after this year. Again, he's going to be 29 years old going into next year. What is going to be his market value after this year, after a relatively quote unquote disappointing season relative to his elite standard that he showed in the past. So group Aaron Jones, group Ezekiel, similar type of assets, way too volatile from a downside risk standpoint to invest at this point in your drafts. As Corey was kind of saying, let's get into the next round and we will look at this and you guys will see. Brandon Ayuk, we both love. We both talked about for quite some time on this channel. I'll let you make the bull case as to why he's going egregiously low. Yeah, I have him way, way higher than this. Not only a wide receiver. He's wide receiver 35 right now in this ADP. I currently have Brandon Ayuk as my wide receiver. I'm like looking for him because he's so much higher than this. I have him at 22. This is a guy that legitimately was a top 15 receiver down the back half of the season. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with Debo Samuel, if he's going to hold out, if he's going to get traded, if he's going to stay on the team. Whatever the case is, Brandon Ayuk has still shown, again, after he was out of the doghouse, um, that something that we always got to keep in mind is that routes are given, targets are earned, right? We hear yeah. people talk about this all the time. He wasn't running routes early in the season, right? He wasn't getting on the field for whatever reason, immaturity, you know, maybe he said something to Kyle Shanahan. We have no fucking idea. But Brandon Ayuk, once he was back on the field, was commanding targets. He was scoring touchdowns with George Kittle on the field, with Debo Samuel on the field. Debo Sam, he forced Debo Samuel to shift his role into more of like a, a, a wing back and not command elite target share. And maybe that's why Debo Samuel's pissed off and wants a new contract because he wants to be treated as a, strictly a wide receiver. I don't know what the situation is. Again, in dynasty with wide receivers, I'm more likely to bet on talent than anything else. And I know IU can play and I know he can command targets. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Ayuk showed down the stretch that you mentioned a legit wide receiver two or higher type of ceiling. So you can realistically get him again. The way I struck my uh, construct my teams, you can get him as your RB four, RB five on your di- or RB wide receiver four, wide receiver five on your dynasty teams. Where, yeah, is there a little bit of downside risk because Kyle Shanahan showed last year that you know he is a player or a coach that's you know good not trustworthy from a fantasy perspective sure but when he's on the field this guy produces this guy commands targets heck you mentioned Debo Samuel wanted to get traded quite simply because his role changed with the emergence of Brandon Ayuk love this pick eighth round Brandon Ayuk sign me up for any day of the week and so you're talking about you know the value of cruel the young talented player with Brandon Ayuk here Let's switch gears because, I mean, I don't not necessarily talk about win-now players often because that's kind of like your your niche. I'm the rebuild, you know, productive struggle type of guy. You're the win-now type of guy. But I think Cortland Sutton at this opportunity cost is very, very nice. My 75th ranked player currently going off the board as the 94th player, one spot behind Brandon Ayuk as the wide receiver 36. Wide receiver 36 is about relatively where I have him in my overall rankings. But as we know, as you've been seeing in this video in the past video, I have these running backs way lower. So as a result, Cortland Sutton is pushed up the board. This guy has shown a legitimate 1K plus ceiling with terrible quarterback play in the past. He can command targets. He can produce when he's on the field and when he's healthy. Yes. Did he have a down season last year? Sure. Any receiver in that situation would have had a down season last year. You had freaking me and Corey throwing the ball at certain points in that year. It was atrocious. It was easily one of the worst offenses to watch in the NFL. Cortland Sutton is still that great player that he was in the past, can still command targets with anybody in the league, and now gets Russell Wilson as his quarterback. 
Russell Wilson being in the fold inherently increases their throwing potential because, I mean, quite frankly, who are we going to expect to throw the ball more, Russell Wilson or Drew Locke? Hmm, easy answer to me. It's going to be Russell Wilson. Corlin Sutton, I think, right now is probably a better receiver than Jerry Judy. I think from a win-now perspective, is probably going to have that wide receiver one spot in this offense, which, by the way, won't matter regardless because good players command targets, period, not wide receiver designation in offense. So if we're talking about it, worst-case scenario, Jerry Judy's the main guy here, Corlin Sutton's the second, but Corlin Sutton, as a 26-year-old player, being priced around guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, James Cook, some of these tight ends. I mean, Christian Watson is a bad prospect that got pushed off the board, uh, up the board due to landing spot, and he's going up, uh, going before a guy that showed a legitimate top fifteen overall wide receiver ceiling. You can get him, as I mentioned with Brandon Ayuk, as your wide receiver five, and I think he can produce wide receiver two plus type of potential this year. I think the underrated thing about Cortland Sutton is how big Russell Wilson could be for him because yes. Cortland Sutton. Where do you think he ranked among wide receivers in air yards uh, total and average depth of target? He was probably top 15. He was number two yeah. in average depth of target yeah. at wide receiver. That's a pretty, that's, that's really, really important for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is probably the best deep passer in the entire NFL. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about this is I think a similar bull case for a guy like Cortland Sutton could be like a Mike Williams plus. We're getting this type of quarterback that can unlock that deep portion of the field that Cortland Sutton, as you mentioned, number two, a dot can dominate an elite level. I think Cortland Sutton, quite frankly, is a better player than Mike Williams and is going to have a more sustainable target ceiling without a Keenan Allen type in that offense. I think Cortland Sutton's ceiling could be top 10 this year. And you're getting that at eighth round opportunity cost. Yeah, he was, and no no surprise to anybody, he was number five in unrealized air yards because they had no, no quarterback kidding. play. So yeah, yeah. Cortland Sutton, I, I love him. I just drafted him in our Tone Setters League. He's like my wide receiver five Money in that in league. Bank. I have Jamar Chase, Marquise Brown, Brandon Ayuk, Cortland Sutton, and Jahan Dotson as my like main core to build around at wide receiver. And I'm absolutely ecstatic with that start considering I also have good running backs and I also have... Um, an elite quarterback with Jalen Hurts and Zach Wilson, a number of other guys there. So yeah, I love Cortland Sun. He's going to be a guy in redraft that I probably have a lot of from oh, like, yeah. under, un, underdog drafts. And, you know, just in my regular home league, he's going to be a big time target of mine in like the fourth, fifth, sixth round of, of my drafts. Yep. No, for sure. Love Cortland Sutton, but we could talk about the bus here and uh, surprise, surprise FSC talking about two of the running backs is in this round as being the bus, but you could take it away with the FSC staple that we've been off this guy for, God knows how long. Take it away with uh, the fabled child of the Kansas City Chiefs offense, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, I, dude, how are we still taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the top 100? <laughs> His own team doesn't even like him. Like, I, I don't know. I I have a 110, so it's like not actually that big of a discrepancy, but he's still going like around Cortland Sutton and Ayuk and Mike Williams and stuff. Like, I give me those guys easily over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. This guy hasn't shown any real ability to be consistent running the ball. His, his own team is, you know, going out and acquiring guys like Ronald Jones to help carry the workload on the ground. So that leaves Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, what, the the primary receiving role, but they don't give him snaps on third down because he can't pass protect? Like, they're still going to use other running backs. This is going to be a full-blown committee, in my opinion. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is still kind of holding the sheen in the luster of being the 101 at one point. I don't think he belongs to go anywhere near this area. RB28 isn't outlandish. I don't think that ranking among running backs is, is crazy. I just think he shouldn't be going this high overall. There's plenty of receivers behind him that I would rather have. 
Exactly. I mean, we're, we'll we'll talk about some of those names in the next round, but there's one in particular that has, I mean, a couple in particular that have shown legitimate wide receiver top five wide receiver one in the past in fantasy type of ceilings. And we're taking a, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards mid mid layer ahead of him. So uh, completely gross. I know uh, you, those watching are probably cringing at that pun, but that is what Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. He is a mid running back that is never going to get that opportunity share that everybody sought for him after he was picked, you know, unanimously across the board as that 101 in the 2020 rookie draft, which big oof looking back on it. Let's go into my I, running back. Quick, I find it hilarious too that when Clyde was off the field last year, Daryl Williams got that opportunity share that we've been waiting for. He for was Clyde. better. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and even like Jarek McKinnon and, you yeah. know, Derek Gore and all these other guys, they're getting like third down snaps. And like <laughs> the best trait of Clyde's game in college was being a receiving yeah. back. And they just yeah. don't want to use him that way. So funny. Yeah. I know. Uh, it's, yeah, he never lived up to expectations. Big sad. So uh, don't go chasing sunk costs at this current point and taking him at the 903 in your drafts. Let's talk about my running back, uh, James Cook. I have him ranked 112. He's currently ranked here 92. Again, I don't, I'm not against James Cook. I don't have him, you know, completely, you know, RB40, RB35 in my rankings. Like he's around the range that he's going amongst the running back position, but I just can't stomach taking a limited running back, again, a sub 200 pound running back that, We'll never really see a full three down workload in James Cook in the top 10 rounds of my Dynasty League drafts. I mean, yeah, is he a fine, you know, RB3 type long term? Can he carve out, you know, a JD McKissick plus, James White plus level type of career? Sure. Is he ever going to be a 20 plus opportunity per game running back? Not a freaking chance. So if we're taking that type of running back, that type of limited ceiling in the top 100 picks of a Dynasty startup, there's just way too much inherent risk and way too little projectable ceiling at that current cost of acquisition. So James Cook, I don't mind the player, but he's, again, as I mentioned, about 20 picks too high for my taste. Yeah, it's it's it all comes down to like rookie draft value too, right? Because yeah. the guys that he's going around, would you rather have like an early second round pick, which is about where we value James Cook, or would you rather have those guys? And a lot of those guys I would trade a first rounder for, right? So yeah. that's that's kind of the distinction between James Cook and those guys. Like I would rather, I would easily, easily rather have a lot of the guys going behind James Cook, like Brandon Ayuk and Cortland Sutton and stuff. Cause like yeah. I would easily give up first round caliber assets for those guys. Exactly. No, I agree with you there. I mean, heck you mentioned Ayuk. He's a, a top 70 player at work for both of us. I don't like, I don't have him ranked right in front of me. Now I know you have him at 50. He's in my top 65, I believe as well. You guys, if you have the manifesto, we'll know exactly where we each have all of these guys ranked, but I can fathom taking a James cook over Brandon. Ayuk in a startup draft today. So as a result, they should not be going in relatively the same range at all. Let's go into um, the next round. We talked about our spiel. We talked about these mid running backs, we talked about these limited running backs enough. Let's get into our biggest values of round nine. And yours have a common theme, as I kind of mentioned. Take it away with these two stud receivers that are going low in your rank in ADP. Yeah, and kind of similar to what you said with Devontae Smith. I It turns my stomach ranking a New Orleans Saint this high above, uh, above ADP. Michael Thomas going at 101? What the fuck are we doing? How is Michael Thomas going after James Cook? Michael Thomas was bought like bar none, the best receiver in fantasy two years ago, not that long ago. And he's still, you know, only 28, 29 years old. He has a quarterback upgrade. I would say from like the recent situation that we had last year, if Jameis is on the field starting the whole season, I think he's very much capable of supporting Michael Thomas 
as a wide receiver one in redraft this year, assuming this guy's healthy, he's going to be a wide receiver one for me in my redraft rankings or borderline yeah. at the very least. So worse, yeah. um, Michael Thomas for a win now competitive team. If you, if you're able to hammer out great, a couple great running backs, a couple great wide receivers already, a couple, like a great tight end and a couple great quarterbacks. And you're getting a guy that could be the best receiver on your team this season in the, in the ninth round of your draft. Like that, this is an awesome value. And, Allen Robinson, similarly, I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver one necessarily this year, but I think he's going to be a locked and loaded solid wide receiver two for your team behind Cooper Cup and the Rams offense. And who knows, maybe he even takes away from Cooper Cup a little bit more than Robert Woods and Odell Beckham Jr. were last year. Yep. No, I I agree. Michael Thomas has shown an elite ceiling. When we are banking on values in our draft, we either want, as I kind of mentioned earlier, players that can accrue a ton in value are players that are or players that are misappropriated in value according to the potential production they can bring. If Michael Thomas is on the field this year, if Michael Thomas is playing football, Michael Thomas is far ahead of the wide receiver 41 he's currently going off the board. Yes, is he older? Does he have injury concerns? Is that baked into his ADP? Absolutely. But if Michael Thomas is healthy, his floor is 150 160 targets. Those would be a pipe dream for some of the receivers going ahead of him. So Michael Thomas, for a win-now team at this current opportunity cost, is a smash pick. You're going to know by round 9, round 10, whether you are a win-now competitive team or whether you're rebuilding. Either way, even if I'm a rebuilding team, Michael Thomas is a player that I'm fine with taking and flipping once he's commanding 8, 9, 10 targets a game in season. Yeah, he's actually like perfect for any team because it's just yeah. completely a misappropriated player. Like honestly, like if you have a completely, you know, rebuilding centric team and you take Michael Thomas, like you're going to get a first round pick for him in season. Like somebody will give you a first round pick for him. So I'm uh, I'm totally on board there. We can get into your value, which is actually at the quarterback position, a guy that I kind of have talked about as a value as well. Yeah. Somebody who has played like a top 15 quarterback in the NFL up until, you know, a playoff game this year. Yeah, and and it's funny because uh, I, I mean we'll quickly say to Allen Robinson, same type of deal with Michael Thomas now insulated in that Los Angeles Rams offense, wide receiver two type of role, and we saw down the stretch Robert Woods, Odell Beckham, no matter who it was, that secondary ancillary piece next to Cooper Cup was able to feast in that offense. So Allen Robinson, group him in. He's your value as well. I'll talk about my quarterback here, Ryan Tannehill. Currently have ranked 62nd in my rankings, 98th overall in ADP right now. Obviously, as you guys know, watching, I'm inherently higher in the quarterback position because I know the cheapest you can get starting caliber quarterbacks is, in fact, in your startup. Ryan Tannehill is that player that is getting drawn back right now because of that playoff game, because that he looked bad against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then as a result in this offseason, we did see them draft a quarterback. We did see them lose A.J. Brown. So people are tanking his value all the way down to the quarterback 23. He is still a borderline top 15 real-life quarterback. So you're thinking about drop security. You're worried about, you know, where's the standing in the league. Even if he's not the long-term starter in Tennessee, this is the type of player that is going to be a bridge quarterback anywhere he goes. And as we've seen, Ryan Tannehill is not your prototypical old statue quarterback that can't contribute with his legs. This was a college wide receiver with legitimate athleticism and who has contributed about 250 to 300 rushing yards in each of the past two years and seven rushing touchdowns in each of the past two years. If Ryan Tannehill is healthy, you can slate him into that top 20 of quarterbacks, even without A.J. Brown. I think, you know, a, a core of Traylon Burks, Robert Woods uh, can't suffice to give Ryan Tannehill the adequate type of weapons on the outside 
to substantiate his quarterback production. And I mean, he's never been a high volume passer in the past. I mean, 480, 530 passing attempts in the last two years, respectively, and has still been able to give you a top 15 type of production. So even if you expect the passing volume to be low, which it probably will be, Ryan Tannehill on 500 passing attempts is still well worth this current cost of acquisition. Quarterback 23 for a guy who hasn't been outside of the top 20 in points per game since he's taken over in Tennessee. I think this is a no-brainer. Go snipe this guy in your drafts. Absolute value. Yeah, I, I punt the quarterback two position like often, and I talked about that in yesterday's video as well. If you grab, you know, an elite quarterback, let's say Watson, and you miss out on Dak and Lance and Hurts and all the other guys that maybe you'd want as a QB two that has QB one upside or maybe is currently a QB one, I'm way more likely to just take Zach Wilson in like round five and then take Ryan Tannehill in round nine and round out my quarterback court that way. Use Ryan Tannehill until Zach Wilson's ready to actually be a starting quarterback for me. And like you said, if Ryan Tano got cut today by Tennessee, there's five, at least five teams that would give him a starting job. Minimum. At least. Like, don't he, think- he's a good quarterback. He was legitimately a top 15, top 12 quarterback in my rankings last year going into the year. And yeah, he had, you know, the upside of Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, you know, kind of surfacing over him. But, I mean, if he goes to a new landing spot after Tennessee, he might have better weapons there, too, and maybe more passing volume. If he was available on the free agency market right now, a team would have no problem in shelling him out 25 to 30 million. Carolina would year. sign him in 0.2 seconds if he was genuinely, available. genuinely. So, I mean, we're talking about that. We're talking about, you know, oh, losing AJ Brown. What's that going to do with Tannehill? Tannehill was never a high volume passer to begin with. So, if and he didn't thinking, have AJ Brown most of last year anyway, right? Right. And he was and, still usable as a QB, too. He wasn't great, but he was still usable as a quarterback, too. For sure. And at worst, I mean, he's getting priced at quarter or I mean, ninth round. I technically is a quarterback too, because he's quarterback 23, but realistically quarterback 23, for the most part, depending on how you build your team is most likely going to end up being your quarterback three. If you're getting a guy who has shown top 15 ceiling as your quarterback three in dynasty. I absolutely love that. Absolute smash. Let's speed run these two receivers here. The one you're going to be talking about is a staple of uh, the football stock, Corey Bushland type of brand here. Uh, you could talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and your hatred for the guy. I mean, <laughs> one sixteen isn't that bad. Like, I just think there's a lot of like, why is he going ahead of Michael Thomas? Is my first. Yeah, that's, like, that's bad. Should not be going there. I would rather take the upside swing on Gabriel Davis than Juju Smith-Schuster or Jahan Dotson, and even some of the veteran guys, Allen Robinson, Hunter Renfro, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, if you can handle waiting six games, like. I just think he's going a little high relative at the wide receiver position. I actually, I have him at like 50 something, 55, I think at the wide receiver position versus 38. So um, I, I'm fine with him. I think he's going to be like a boomer bust wide receiver three in fantasy this year. I just think he's being overvalued a little bit just because he plays for Kansas city. If he went to, you know, the Colts or something like that, he'd probably be like wide receiver 57 and I'd be fine with him at that price. And I'd be, you know, probably even maybe a little higher on him than consensus. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with you there. I mean, I have him a little bit higher than you, but I still have him below consensus. Um, keep in mind, too, he's closer to, you know, my wide receiver 45 range. So wide receiver 38, you mentioned, you know, uh, Michael Thomas. I would rather DeAndre Hopkins. I'd rather Gabe Davis. Uh, guys like that. I mean, you can make the argument about Allen Robinson as well. So um, I agree with you, Juju, a little bit too steep of a price for my own taste. Uh, the one I kind of have here, uh, one that you might disagree with, um, is Hunter Renfro. He is a confusing player to me because 
he's not, you know, a typical productive struggle player. Again, he's going to be what, 26, 27 years old coming he's off his age. years old. I yeah. Think, right? Yeah. So he's about, you know, 26, 27 range coming off, obviously a fantastic volume centric season this year. But as we know, with the caveat, Darren Waller was relatively banged up for the majority of the season and adding a guy with a legitimate 30% target share with Devonte Adams is going to limit his ceiling. I don't mind Renford the player. I think he's a, a solid in real life player. I just don't know what type of ceiling you're getting here. Are you getting, you know, a Jacoby Myers type of player long-term where, you know, he can, you know, live in that 80, 90 reception, 800 to 900 receiving yard range. I think that probably about appropriate, but I don't see a ceiling where this guy realistically gets much higher than his current ADP is because of Devontae Adams, because of Darren Waller, because as we've kind of talked about what you talked about with Josh Jacobs a little bit, he is involved in a receiving game. I mean, people pointed to the fact that Josh Jacobs was not a capable receiver in his first couple of years. We saw that three down roll end up materializing this past year. I don't think that's going away. Hunter Renfro is, as I mentioned, neither a value accrual piece nor an elite win now type of piece like a Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson are when they are healthy. So because he's neither, he's not a player I'm going to typically get a lot of exposure to. Yeah, I think he's like the high end of like what you get out of like Tyler Boyd or Jarvis Landry. Yeah. Um, because I, I do think if you're in a league with three wide receiver spots and four flexes, I'm fine getting Hunter Renfro as my sixth or seventh wide receiver to throw into my flex spot. He's going to probably have like 10 to 14 points per game, depending on how he performs next year. Obviously has some upside if either of those guys get injured too. So I don't mind it. I think the, the Raiders offense is going to be good enough to support definitely Devonte Adams and definitely Darren Waller at their positions, but also probably a boomer boss wide receiver three with Renfro. Yeah. It's just, again, I don't have a, uh, I don't hate, you know, that, that range It's just, Going ahead of guys like, you know, Chase Claypool, who's got the youth on his factor, who's got the ceiling factor for him. Brandon Cooks, who's shown a legitimate, you know, 150, 160-plus target ceiling. Uh, Kadarius Toney, who on a per-route basis last year was able to command targets, was able to be efficient in the playing time he had. Because he's going ahead of guys like that, he just kind of seems like the odd fit of the bunch if I were to kind of classify it. Yeah, that's that's a fair take. I think he's just he's not going to be a high ceiling option. Obviously, yeah. he's more so like a flex piece. But I'm okay with him at this point in the draft, um, where he's currently going. He's actually my wide receiver 42, uh, and he's the wide receiver 44. My 51 in this. So he is. I have actually you know about on consensus even a little bit higher. So uh, let's get into round 10. We could speed through these yep. ones real quick. I kind of already talked about. I have a lot of Saints stuff yep. here. Jameis Winston <laughs> is my value. I have him at 88 versus 113. Jameis Winston to me is way, way too low. If you're looking for a quarterback three, I think Jameis Winston is the perfect guy to get because Jameis Winston, especially if you have like a Zach Wilson, Kenny Pickett, Mac Jones is like your quarterback two, and you punted that position entirely after your QB one. I love Jameis Winston as the guy that you supplement that early season production with because Jameis Winston has a pretty good cast of characters around him with Michael Thomas, hopefully coming back. Chris Olave, now Jarvis Landry. He's got some deep threats with Deontay Harris and stuff. Has a great offensive line. Um, they were able to replace Teron Armstead, hopefully, in the draft. And uh, also has a pretty good coaching staff, good scheme, good run game. Um, everything's set up for Jameis Winston. We've also seen this guy be a top five quarterback in fantasy before. Not that he's going to get to that level in New Orleans because they're not going to throw as much as Tampa Bay did in 2019. But he has good weapons around him. They can make him look good. And I think he can be a solid QB2 this year in fantasy. And again, if he's your actual quarterback three on your roster, which is probably where he's going to end up being as QB25 off the board, I really like Jameis Winston 
um, as good depth for comp- uh, competitive teams. Yeah, I like Winston too. I mean, we talked about, you know, Tannehill's a perfect win now type of quarterback three. I think Winston kind of falls falls into that mold as well. Um, he's still young too. If he yeah. plays well in New Orleans, there's no guarantee he's, that he's not, not a starting quarterback anymore. He could play himself into a starting role. I mean, he's still what, what, 28 years 26, old? 26, 27, I think. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, let me, let me just see He was right born now. in 94, so he's probably 27, 28. He's 28 years old. So yeah, yeah. I mean, still relatively young. And the last time we saw Jameis Winston, you know, he had a, a good stretch last year about, you know, what, 18 points per game, about a quarterback 20 type of points per game player, uh, despite having, you know, some of the lowest passing volume output. And no weapons. Of, no Thomas. No Thomas. Drake Smith, Marquez Callaway, and Deontay Harris. Exactly. No Thomas. No Alave in that offense. No Jarvis. They didn't, no Jarvis. They didn't have any piece. And I mean, Kamara was uh, relatively uh, – thrusted into a banger type of role last year. He wasn't able to, you know, get split out wide, get split into advantageous spots in space. And yet Jameis Winston was still showing a, you know, borderline top 20-ish type of quarterback play when he was healthy. So if you're getting that and you know the inherent passing volume is going to be there comparative to last year, I think Jameis Winston is a very, very good bet. I like that pick. Uh, I think Jameis Winston is that perfect, you know, quarterback three type or heck even if you have three quarterbacks and you want to take Jameis Winston as a quarterback four and uh you know leave on the fact that he's going to appreciate in value I think that's a fine case too I think Jameis Winston could be a sneaky long-term starter uh for a New Orleans team because he showed he can fit the system last year he gets adequate weapons this year he is coming back from that ACL and quite frankly rushing has never been the staple of his game his game has been high volume high you know volatility, if you will, in the passing game where he can have 30, 35 touchdowns in the season and nobody would bat an eye. So if you're getting that upside 10th round, all for it. Um, my value here is, as I kind of mentioned the last round, Brandon cooks, if this guy stays healthy, he is going to get at minimum, what 150, 155, 160 targets share or targets. He's going to push, you know, 27 to 30% target share on the Houston Texans. I hate making the case who's around him, but genuinely, other than what, John Mechie and Nico Collins, what does that Texans offense have? Like genuinely, Brandon Cooks is their best player. Brandon Cooks is going to get the football. Davis they Mills already, too. They extended him and he already showed a rapport with Davis Mills last year. So if you're getting Brandon Cooks, as you know, as you kind of mentioned, that wide receiver six, seven for a win now type of team, I think he's going to be a locked and loaded top 30 to top 24 wide receiver this year in redraft. Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of case I made for Renfro, except, you know, you have the more upside this season that if you were playing a dynasty league with three flex spots and three wide receiver spots, yeah, Brandon Cooks is going to be in your lineup more often than not because he is a guy that is going to produce top 30 numbers, like yeah. you said, in redraft. And I think that's a conservative projection. If I wouldn't shock me at all this year if Brandon Cooks, based on volume alone, is a top 15 to top 18 wide receiver. Yep, 134 targets in 16 games last year, despite playing with you know a log game at the beginning the of the quarterback, season. A third-round yeah. quarterback that had no quarterback. starting experience in college. Yeah, no, exactly. And, I mean, not, you can tell me right now, obviously you can't translate last year to this year, but 90 for nearly 1,106 touchdowns in the 10th round. Sign me the frick up. Love me some Brandon Cooks. You're getting that discount because of that Fugazi injury narrative where, quite frankly, if you look at his career, 16 games, 15 games, 14 games, 16, 16, 16, 16, 10. 
Like, he hasn't been a, a player that's missed a whole season due to injuries. Yeah, has he played banged up? Sure. What freaking player in the NFL hasn't played banged up? If you can use that injury-riddled narrative to your advantage and steal Brandon Cooks in your draft, go and do it. Yeah, exactly. I also think, too, when you look at the landscape of the wide receivers that had rookie quarterbacks last year, look how many of them struggled, right? Allen Robinson yep. was horrible with a rookie quarterback last year. Um, we also had the Jets situation. Corey Davis was really disappointing with a rookie quarterback. Marvin Jones was really disappointing with Trevor Lawrence. And in you know New England, they didn't have like a lot of great receivers, but we didn't see. I, I kind of liked Nelson Aguilar as a, night, uh, a dart throw la uh, late in drafts last year, and he was really bad with Mac Jones last year. So rookie quarterbacks typically impact the, the production of the receivers they're throwing to. And Davis Mills didn't really impact Brandon Cooks' production all that much. And if he takes a step yep. forward, better offensive line this year, better uh, – you know, better team around him. They added some uh, premier players in the draft. I think there's a chance that Brandon Cooks is a little bit better this year too. And we're talking about that from a short-term perspective. Yeah, he's an older player, so that short-term production is always going to take priority. But, I mean, are we discounting the fact that next year he's got Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud also throwing him the football? Because that's going to be very impactful too, getting, you know, what should end up being a top 12 dynasty quarterback being tethered to with Brandon Cooks, who's already shown the ability to command targets, regardless of whose quarterback's been. So agree there. Love that pick. Um, we can get on to both of our busts. I'll let you take it away with yours, and then I can transition to mine, and we can wrap up this video. Yeah, mine's pretty straightforward. Desmond Ritter's my bust because he's a third-round quarterback who I didn't think was all that talented as a prospect anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, Desmond Ritter, I was only interested in Desmond Ritter if he was going to be a first-round pick, which is, yes. there was reports that it was possible. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm semi-in on Desmond Ritter. But I once I get outside of, J Jameis Winston is kind of a cutoff for me. Once he's off the board, I'm really not all that interested in the quarterback position at all. I'll, I'll take Sam Howell in like round 16 or something, but I'm probably not going to take any quarterbacks you know, Malik Willis, guys like that, unless I'm, you know, really, really looking to shore up my depth. And Desmond Ritter, I just don't think the ceiling is that high. Maybe he gets on the field his rookie season because of uh, what Marcus Mariota represents. Probably not that great of a quarterback um, guy that's going to keep Desmond Ritter off the field. But I just don't think Desmond Ritter is long for the NFL as a starter. So I'm probably not going to spend a very, very high level pick on him. I'll pick him there in the 14th, 15th round if I need some QB3, QB4 depth. But that's probably where it stops. I got a question for you in the next five years we'll give it a five-year baseline who is going to start more games in the nfl desmond ritter or jared goff probably jared goff right and we're taking desmond ritter at the 1101 in dynasty drafts when we are not even sure if he's gonna outstart jared goff over the or daniel jones you could add in a couple names to that to that like, list for sure there's just way too much volatility here again is the ceiling high if he starts and he looks good i don't think the ceiling's ceiling high like i think he's like a qb2 at best if he's on the yeah. field he he's where davis mills is now as far as value is concerned this yeah. time next year if he starts yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll i'll say a little bit higher because of that inherent rushing ceiling but i agree i mean he's a third round quarterback the hit rates of quarterbacks after the third round, there's what? Out of 32 teams right now, four or five starting quarterbacks that were taking out, taken after the top 64 or later. Like, yeah, and most of those guys, Prescott and Russell Wilson, fell for either illegal concerns. Height and legal. Yep. So, like, there's there's not, like, Kirk Cousins and Tom Brady. Like, yeah. that, that's it, like, yeah. pretty much. And, I mean, as we know, Tom Brady is the outlier of outliers. So, if you want to bank on him, oh, well, Tom Brady was a six-round pick. I can bank on Britter because he was selected higher than Brady was. 
That is just terrible process. Let me be honest. Uh, talking about my bust, I have Mike Jasicki as my 158th player. He's currently going off the board at 119. I get it. After you get, you know, after a certain point at tight end, they do get pushed up the board. But we're talking about a guy that finished as the tight end nine overall last year, despite playing 17 games and garnering 112 targets. They add Tyreek Hill to this offense. They add Mike McDaniel, who's coming from a run-heavy system. And as we know, I mean, if you guys weren't sure, now you will know, the Dolphins were actually one of the highest neutral game script passing teams in the NFL last year. We already expect their inherent passing volume to go down, given the nature and shift of system going, going to Mike McDaniel. And now you're also adding a receiver that is going to command 25-plus percent of the targets. What is the ceiling of Mike Jasicki? Could he be, you know, tight end 10, tight end 12 on the back of increased efficiency in the touchdown department? That is your bull case. But if you're taking a tight end that has a limited ceiling in the top 11 rounds of your startup, that's just bad process. Yeah, I, I'm i indifferent on Mike Kosicki. I think he's fine. He might in, increase in efficiency. But the interesting thing with him is that he was number one in the at the position in slot rate, right? So... If Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle can both play the yep. slots. So I don't know which one, if they're going to leave Gasicki there, if they're going to move him around, keep him more in line. I don't know whatever the case is, but I'm okay with Gasicki. There's a number of other tight ends I'd rather have than him, but uh, I don't think it's outrageous to say that he would, um, you know, be a guy that I, I fade also. I think I probably have him a decent amount lower than this as well. Yeah, it's just not even like his standing amongst the tight end position. Because if you want to make the case he's tight in 11 in Dynasty, I'm not going to hate you for it. It's just the fact that you're taking him before some upside receivers. Like if you go to the rankings here, um, you're taking him over receivers like, let's just say, I mean, I would rather Adam Thielen straight now. I would rather Adam Thielen. If you're a win-now team, Adam Thielen, top 30 type of production. Take him over Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, both top 45 overall picks at wide receiver. I can't stomach taking a guy like Mike Jasicki with a limited ceiling at tight end over second round top 45 pick rookie receivers. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I actually have him at tight end 11. So at the position, I have him exactly where he is. So um, that's about where he should be going. Position, I just think, you know, 20, 30 spots a little too high uh, relative to the wide receivers, running backs and other position groups going in that area. So we don't want to spend too much time on Mike Jasicki. Let's head out of here. We've been going for a while just under an hour, probably once we edit this thing down. But if you guys enjoyed this video at any point, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you're new. Check out our uh, Patreon. That's how you can get access to our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto. We made reference to it this entire video. You can also get access to it by checking out our sponsors, underdogfantasy.com, using the promo code FSE at signup and first deposit. You'll get 100% match back on whatever you put in. So if you put in 10 bucks, you'll have 20 on the site to play with. You'll also get our dynasty rankings manifesto as a free gift uh, for using our code. So it basically costs you 10 bucks to get access to our dynasty rankings for the entire season. So with that being said, guys, peace out. Talk to you soon.